You're listening to the Slavic Connection. Trust me. 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 Yeah, a bit conspiracy from you. This is not mine, yeah? They, they look absolutely similar. Amazing. All right, hi. My name is Alexander Kirasimenko. I am uh, I'm from years of uh, Westminster. And, okay, I I gonna tell two short stories today. One story is from Russia, and another one is from Belarus. And they're all about uh, using uh, messaging platforms. All right, so the first story, the one that comes from Russia, is about presidential campaign of one of the most prominent opposition leaders in Russia, Alexei Navalny. I believe most of you heard of it. We already heard a few references to him today as well. Uh, and the second story is from Belarus, well, but it's also related to Russia because it's about quite weird misinformation campaign that targeted Belarusian authorities in 2018. And uh, many people suggest that it was related to Russia and somehow came to, from Russia. All right. And what unites uh, those stories is, first of all, the prominence of the use of digital platforms in both cases to disseminate political information or disinformation. Um, and how this information was disseminated. One of the key platform used to disseminate this information was a messaging platform. Now, perhaps most of you are users of all kinds of messaging platforms, and one of the most popular is WhatsApp. And uh, you may observe how messaging platform platforms change in political landscape. For instance, this is the screenshot from the BuzzFeed publication uh, they discussed this never-ending saga of Brexit in the United Kingdom. And it discussed some leaks that came from Tory party, ruling party in UK, that discussed the approaches to Brexit last year. And this is an example how journalists increasingly use digital platforms to discuss, to get information and discuss political life. They get leaks from uh, conversations of politicians. So con people, politicians in, in small groups and larger groups discuss things. In, in that case, they were members of parliament. They discussed politics. And those stories they discussed, they've been leaked. And they went to media. And journalists were very happy to share these stories. Uh, people also use uh, messaging platforms to organize, to coordinate themselves. For instance, ERG group within Tory party is essentially uh, a WhatsApp group. Now, my stories are not about WhatsApp. They're about something else that is called Telegram. Telegram is a messaging platform, and uh, I would very much love to know how many of you ever heard of Telegram before. Oh, wow, everyone, almost everyone, very well. Anyone used it before? Few people, but yeah, about a half, very well. So you, most of you know what is it. It looks like WhatsApp. Plus, there is another feature that makes it more similar to YouTube, maybe, to social media. This is something called channel. So essentially, every user of Telegram can establish a channel. But in contrast to YouTube, uh, you don't broadcast videos normally on Telegram, but you broadcast texts. So everyone can establish those uh, channels with texts, 
and people read them, they could be quite long texts. Interestingly, you cannot really like normally those texts on, on channels. You cannot even comment on them normally. The only thing you can do is text on ch channels. You can share them. And for some reason, there are many reasons maybe for this, Telegram became quite prominent in predominantly Russian-speaking countries as a place where people come together and discuss political information, political life. It's the case of Russia, it's the case of Belarus, it's the case of Iran, for instance, uh, at least until recently. Now, so the first story is about how Navalny campaign used Telegram. And uh, this was a story from his presidential campaign attempt to been registered as a candidate during the last year presidential elections in Russia, which was, of course, not very successful for him in terms of registration. He wasn't registered. However, the campaign was associated with several waves of quite large uh, anti-corruption and pro-democracy protests across Russia, and it involved many localities, which is unusual for Russia, where normally political life is concentrated in few large cities, right? At that time, it was up to 100 different locations where those waves of protest associated with the, his campaign were happening. Um, and of course, one of the main issues, main difficulties for political activists in non-democracies in authoritarian states like Belarus or Russia is to how to reach larger audience, right? How to disseminate information when mainstream media, like TV, is tightly controlled by the state. So state controls TV, no access to TV. Those people need to talk to wider audience that do not, do not check. Uh, uh, maybe they even, well, they use social media, right? And on social media, people maybe not subscribe to any political channels, political pages, political groups. So how to access them? This campaign, one of the main ways it used uh, to get access to wider audience was something they call three-step scheme of information dissemination with Telegram. So the first, uh, first step was using campaign accounts. That's what many politicians do in many countries. Yeah, they create campaign accounts. And they, they use it to share all kinds of stories, information, and so on. The second step is to send this. Um, to li links to these uh, publications on campaign accounts to Telegram. And the campaign of Navalny created hundreds, hundreds of Telegram channels across Russia. There were many hundreds, and they could unite just few pro-democracy uh, activists in small localities somewhere in Siberia. It could be huge groups of thousands of users in Moscow. Activists, co-activists of the Navalny campaign shared links to those Telegram channels and ask their followers to disseminate those links using their private profiles. So people who share these stories, they uh, share them through private profiles following Telegram uh, links being shared by the co-activists. So the users, ordinary users, their friends, their neighbors, maybe 20, 50, 100 of them could see this political information in the private profile. And it appeared one of the quite quite successful way in terms of accessing um, larger audiences. Once campaign asked, uh, links disseminated quite quickly across, across profiles of ordinary users. And it, it reached some significant audience. It, it was one of the many ways, of course, to access 
large audience. Okay, the second story. And the second story is about Belarus. And this is about uh, those weird titles that appeared in international media a uh, few, few months ago, starting July 2018. Titles like, Ex-Chief of NATO sees an accession war in Belarus as probable scenario. A brotherly takeover. Could Russia next Belarus? Foreign affairs. The Belarusian president won't go down without a fight. Nonsense, right? Uh, you might ask, what is that at all? Well, first of all, what is Belarus? There's almost no news in the national media ever about Belarus. No one discusses it, and many people suggest that, okay, it's because nothing is happening in Belarus. They have the same president for 25 years. He's not planning to step down. Seems like, yeah, he's quite healthy and so on. What the hell is that? <laughs> that was my question. <laughs> so the, the second story, and of course you would, would expect this kind of rhetoric on the other hand, if you remember that uh, recently aggressiveness becomes increasingly prominent in the Russian political discourse that many people, ordinary citizens, uh, say that the greatness of the states of Russia, it's, uh, it relates to its territorial reach. At the same time, Belarus is a neighbor of Russia and very, some people say, close alive. But at the same time, they have a long, long history of all kinds of confrontations. And those confrontations are very cyclical. So they're happening, they start, they're starting somewhere uh, from some, uh, uh, some, some kind of attacks, uh, some kind of information campaign in Russian media, and then Lukashenko makes some, some reforms, some step towards Russia, and they, then uh, this uh, campaign uh, just, <coughs> just disappears as they started. But these days, it's a bit different story. Those days, there were many campaigns like that in Russian TV, on the Russian TV mostly, that targeted Belarusian government. But these days, it's not TV anymore. It's mostly online media. And this is the network uh, of new, quite recently appeared uh, on the stage of uh, uh, local, mostly local, especially this segment, local online media that started appearing across uh, Belarusian media landscape. So local media, new local media started developing in 2018. And if you look at the connections between them, specifically what kind of information they've been sharing to, between each other, you find that those local media, they often share the same kind of content between themselves. And apparently they're connected to three organizations with roots in Russia. One of them called CIS IMO, which is about election observations across CIS countries, which is kind of gone-go organization controlled by Moscow official officials. Second organization that has connections to all of those, most of those uh, new media that target Belarus, local, uh, local Belarus uh, stories, is called Soyuz, very recently established. And the third one is apparently Russian embassy in Belarus. They're online news websites. But they're not so far at least that popular in Belarus, according to number of views they get. Audience, they share not very large audience, but other kind of media are important in Belarus, and they're independent media. Independent media, what I mean by independent is 
those media that are not controlled by any state. So not controlled by Russia, not controlled by Belarusian state, not controlled by Polish state, independent media in that way. So they're commercial, but independent from states, more or less. And I looked at them and I looked for political stories since July 2018, since those strange titles started appearing in international media. What they say about Lukashenko in politics, Lukashenko, president of Belarus, and whether they anyhow mentioned Telegram in their articles. So I was looking for articles in independent, most popular, most visited independent Belarusian media that are using Telegram as a source of information. And I was specifically interested in those articles that referenced some bit of information and had Telegram as a source of it. And no other sources for that bit of information provided. And those Telegram channels were anonymous. So we didn't know who the authors of those channels were. You remember channels are like sort of YouTube channels as well, but uh, no video text only. That's how those posts on Telegram look like. And that's the, the topics discussed. Uh, I found uh, about 30 articles in independent media that uh, uh, use Telegram as a source. And that's what kind of information they discussed. Russia plans to annex Belarus. Lukashenko loses his power. Lukashenko had a stroke and is unable to rule. Belarus increases military cooperation with the US. Moscow does not control Belarus branch of Russian Orthodox Church, and so on and so forth. We can most, we can perhaps call most of those stories misinformation because, well, Lukashenko didn't have any stroke. We know it. That's that time when uh, those news appeared. We don't know really whether Russia plans any annexation of Belarus or not. But okay, mo mo the rest of those ki those titles are just fakes. And well, interesting. But they were, where they come from? What kind of channels shared those stories? Apparently, not surprise. The largest channel that been referenced by independent media called Nizigar. And this is quite popular, quite popular, maybe most popular political telegram channel in Russia. Um, and if you look at the network, how, how those uh, other channels. So I traced back origins of those stories that independent media shared, popular, trusted, journalism led media visited by millions of Belarusians every day. They led to three networks of Telegram channels. So networks here are created by channels that share information between each other, specifically those stories I'm looking at. One of them is focused on Nizigar, which is mostly about Russian uh, politics. The second um, network is focused on Telegram channel called Bulbo of Thrones or Potatoes of Thrones or something like that <laughs> could be translated from Belarusian. Uh, and it's only Belarusian stories. And the third network connects both those two. So they're not connected directly, but they're connected through the third network that is dominated by channels like Kremlovsky Bezbashenik or Dvojnoe Dno or Master Pera. So who are those people behind those channels? They're anonymous. But recent investigation by Trusted Russian journalists show that most important channels within that network are controlled by someone called 
Alexei Gromov. And this is, he is called by journalists, uh, one of the heads of the Siloviki branch within the administration of president of Russia, or sort of conservative circle within administration of Russian president. As well as he was also called as the uh, head of the propaganda department of Kremlin. All right, so we know maybe who is the, uh, who is the kind of, uh, who is guy behind these networks. But again, this is not, if you, if you share information on Telegram, you don't get that high reach, yes? You, you get maybe 60, 40,000 views per, per story, and that's it. This is a very limited reach. What those people, I think, wanted, they wanted larger reach, higher reach, and they, and they used journalists. So how uh, Telegram emerged as important information channel in Russia? It emerged in the vacuum of political information, in the growing vacuum of, of information about politics. And we know that journalists need some links, they need something to discuss, and perhaps the reason they shared, they joined those misinformation campaigns was about, uh, the, the reason was that because they had restricted access to any kind of political information. So what did, you remember, I told you two stories. One was about Navani campaign, how they used Telegram, and the second story was about how perhaps some people in Kremlin, or maybe one tower is the same criminology, one tower of Kremlin used Telegram. And you see that there are some similarities. And the similarity is those people behind those campaigns of misinformation or dissemination of information, they realize that they cannot reach wider audience using only Telegram. They needed, they needed something else. And in the first case, they used accounts of private individuals, supporters, ordinary users of social media beyond Telegram, VK, OK, uh, Facebook, so on and so forth. In the second case, they used journalists. Journalists helped disseminate information. And what also united both cases is that Telegram was turned into sort of depository of this misinformation or political information. Just links or short text stored on Telegram somewhere could be accessed anytime by any kind of networks to disseminate it further. So again, just to, to remind you, first, both types of information emerge from a handful of sources. Then it distributed across larger networks on Telegram. Then those networks push those information beyond Telegram to reach wider audience. And journalists, unfortunately, can help in this. And what it all shows is that uh, Telegram is becoming, or maybe already became, a key element in the cycle of distribution of political information and disinformation in Russia and Belarus. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking at the Information Wars Symposium, that was Alexander Gerasimenko. One more time. Alexander Gerasimenko. Oh my, I think I'm in love. Houston, I have a bad feeling about this. I'll have to speak to the humans. No, please don't. I'll be good. Don't worry. Everything will be all right. Trust me. Where are you taking me? It's so dark. I feel cold. Peter? Trust me.